You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the Parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts. Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on BatteryPower.com, where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the site and the minor getter since 2015. Now, normally this is the part of the show where I introduce Garrett who's been my longtime co-host on the show, and we start kind of diving into the different levels of the minor leagues, what's been going on over the previous weeks. That is not what's going to be happening this week. One, we're not going to be talking about the different levels of the minor leagues, and two, I have a very special co-host and guest. You can follow his work over on MLB Pipeline and follow him on Twitter, one Jim Callis. Jim, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather. I'm just going to be completely honest. It's just kind of one of those years where allergies kind of, you know, completely wipe me out. But I'm, I'm making do like all of us are trying to these days uh, and, you know, desperately hoping that whatever little minor uh, sniffles you get don't turn into something far worse. So I'm kind of thankful that that's not the case. But um, so what we're going to be doing on this show, for those who aren't aware, is that in just it's a little over right at three weeks now. Uh, the, the 2020 MLB draft is going to be happening, and we want to get start previewing that draft from the Braves' perspective. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk to first than to reach out to Jim, talk to him a little bit what he's hearing about the draft in general, what he thinks is going to be going on with the Braves. So we're just going to jump right into it because I know that Jim is a very busy man this time of year, and I want to make sure that we kind of you know give him plenty of time to flush, flush his thoughts out. And the first thing I want to ask you about, Jim, is that from what I'm hearing and kind of what we're kind of just seeing just the general narrative so far is that the first round of the draft right now seems to be hinging on how teams are evaluating all these Tommy John arms, in particular, those col- the college arms when you're looking at Peyton Paulette, Landon Sims, Hunter Barco, uh, even guys who are coming back like Connor Prelip and then a prep arm and Dylan Lesko. A lot of the top arms in this draft got hurt this year, and that has really kind of thrown a chink in kind of the machinations of how the draft is operating. So how do you see the Braves fitting into that mix in terms of evaluating whether or not they could maybe be in the mix for one of those Tommy John arms in rounds one or two? And do you see like any teams in particular other than the Braves that are kind of keying in on those college arms? Yeah, it's so hard, Eric, on that because one, like 
teams, I was going to say, we're still three weeks away, like you said, and teams kind of lay low on those guys. Like if you're trying to get one of those guys, you generally are keeping really quiet about it. You know, especially let's say the Braves were interested in those guys. The Braves, you know, are picking, what is it? They're they're picking 20th. Um, I don't, yeah, they don't have any extra picks until they get a free agent compensation pick at 76, by which point most of those guys will be gone. And, you know, they've got all the teams with competitive balance picks and a couple teams with free agent comp picks between the first and second round who have bigger bonus pools and, and are laying in wait, you know, and, and, and so I, I don't really know if the Braves are, because it, the thing is, if the Braves were to say, Hey, you know, Braves were somehow letting it be known they were interested in, in Peyton Paulette from Arkansas. Well, there might be a team like the Rockies have two supplemental first round picks and maybe the Rockies like Peyton Paulette. Well, then they're going to let Peyton Paulette's guy know, Hey, the Braves only have like a $3.4 million slot, but we can maybe give you $4 million. I, you know, if you got to pick, 31 or, or 38 so that's what's made this draft hard there, there's so many guys who could have been first round picks who were hurt uh reggie crawford from connecticut's another one henry williams from duke is another one um you know connor prelips back throwing bullpens and those are just the tommy john guys i mean you have carson wisenant who was suspended and you have kumar rocker and nobody knows exactly what plagued him when the mets had him you know failed his physical last year and blade tidwell was kind of up and down tennessee so it's so hard you have all these arms who, who could have been first round picks you know my, my guess is i would say the brave the braves probably won't be be in the mix for one of those guys eric and this is just educated conjecture i i just don't think they're going to take one of those guys at 20 because if I mean they could, but I, I just think other teams theoretically could pay those guys more. And it, you know, even though you, Tommy John, you feel like guys are going to come back from Tommy John. Okay, you don't see you know a lot of guys you know taken who've had Tommy John surgery in the first round. Usually, you take the guy with, with your second pick and pay him. I mean, there are exceptions. Gunnar Hoagland last year is one. But it's just really hard to figure. But um, <laughs> that's a long way of saying I, I don't really know where any of those guys are going to go because I, I think that's something you kind of find out maybe towards the end if something slips out. But it, it makes this draft very, very interesting. Yeah, and that guy lines up with what I'm hearing too, right? It's that it's all about the money. And, you know, it's because there's going to be a kind of a, a bidding war that's kind of happening in the dark corners of, you know, like, you know, like how much would you sign for? Would this be enough? Would this be enough? And then those agents kind of taking those offers and seeing the most they can get for their guy and how that lines up with bonus slots, right? Because there's all these teams that have so much bonus pool and the Braves are not, they're, they're kind of like a, like in that middle tier, but towards the bottom of it, because they've got that extra pick this go around. And it's kind of fascinating is kind of what that means for what happens in the first round. I'm not sure how many, of these guys are going to go in the first round or how many are going to be, like you said, going to be those second round picks that are might be over slot picks or even maybe even slot picks. there, just kind of depending on how far they are out, you know, what, what their you know unique situation is. And that's been kind of what we've been hearing is just that, you know, especially as far down as the Braves are picking is that it's kind of hard to I mean. They've got, they've got probably a dozen guys that they think might be there that they could be interested in. And it all comes down to you know, how much it's going to cost to sign them. And, you know, there's so many things happening in front of them. It's almost impossible to handicap, right? Yeah, it is. And like I said, too, I just, if you're in the market for one of those guys, you generally try to keep it quiet because 
<clears throat> those guys are not obviously going to go as high as they would have had they been perfectly healthy. And so then, you know, as you slide, then it might become, you know, hey, maybe if the Braves want you at 20, you know, somebody who's got a pick in the 30s and supplemental first round might be able to pay you more money. So everybody tries to be super quiet on those guys. And there's just so many of them. It's hard to figure. You know, you you have all the guys who are hurt, and then like I said, the guys who are now pitching a little bit. You know, like Kumar Rocker and Carson Wisna and Connor Prelip through a couple of bullpens, but it, it makes the pitching very, very, very hard to figure out. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be the biggest storyline I think from that first round is kind of where that where those pitchers end up because then then you start looking at a lot of these you know these prep bats that maybe in the middle of the first round do they you know do teams actually take you know really try to take these arms early you know get you know stay quiet and make those picks and then you know firm up the deal and get the pick done uh, and then maybe some other bats slide or some other guys that would normally you know in a lot of these you know if we're being honest if all these guys were healthy you know the guys some of the guys that the Braves are currently connected to wouldn't they would be debatable first round picks at the very least they'd be at the bottom of the first so right. you know maybe those guys slide so it, it just who's available is going to be the biggest thing and it seems like the smart plan would be just to kind of keep their options open and that kind of leads me to my next question jim is that you know again we talked a little bit about the you know the braves are, they, don't, they don't have that big bonus pool to leverage they just don't have it. i mean the orioles the diamondbacks the mets they just have so much money this year uh kind of again that lower middle of the pack bonus pool uh, again, a little bit of a boost because they get the extra pick after round two. But do you, with that kind of bonus pool, do you see them either making a big overslot move either in the first or second round, or is it just kind of? It seems like the the teams that have that level of bonus pool are they going to be strictly maybe maybe some overslot signings on day two, but really trying to spread the money out and trying to get the most value because it's, that's what they've been done, doing previously. And to, to to my eye anyway, it seems like that seems like the best course of action for them. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. Like, they have an eight million dollar pool, so you can go to about eight point four million dollars without you know losing future draft picks. Um, yeah, I, if they went over slot, I don't necessarily see them doing it in the first round, and I don't feel like there's going to be necessarily like a five million dollar player who falls to them at twenty anyway. You know, maybe I, I could see maybe in the second round. You know, you know, if they went, you know, one point eight to two million dollars, if the right guy was there and you try to get him to fall to you, you know, I could see that maybe. But I, I don't think so. Like, you know, that, that hasn't typically been their M.O. to to go, uh, you know, go after guys like that and, and spend a bunch of money early and, and, you know, and then scramble around. So I, I think it'd be more, you know, that. You know, I think they'll spend the extra 5% you can do. You know, they, they have most years. Spend the extra 5% to add a little bit of money to the pool. But I think it's, you know, they've typically sprinkled it around. I don't think we'll see them go $5 million in the first round and then have to be budget conscious the rest of the way. Well, just to kind of piggyback on that, kind of of the guys that you kind of seeing as of right now being in the, like the top 15 picks, like who is a guy that could – fall to 20 that would that they could realistically fall to 20 that could be penalizing as more of a full a full slot pick i guess a full slot or higher pick yeah you know i i don't know if there's really that guy like we've got the top 13 guys on our board you know one one dogs are going crazy here one's a high school pitcher brock porter from michigan and the other 12 guys are hitters and i i just don't think you're really going to make those guys fall like if one of them fell, you know, maybe it's Arizona catcher Daniel Susak. 
I don't feel that's like a signability thing, and I don't necessarily think he'd fall all the way to pick 20. That would kind of surprise me, to be honest. Um, so then, like, the guys we have at 14 and 15 on our list, you know, one's Dylan Lesko, the Georgia high school pitcher, who would have been the first pitcher taken high school or college, but he had Tommy John surgery. And again, at least Tom, I don't know what his market is. I don't know if he has exactly. guys that's, that's... paying four or five million dollars. And then number 15 is a high school left-hand pitcher named Brandon Barriera. And the high school pitchers never go as high as their rank. So Brandon Barriera could be available at 20, and it would just be on merit. Like I was, I, one of the guys I was talking to the other day was pointing out, and he's right that every year, you know, all the publications you know, rank the high school guys and the teams are excited about the high school guys. And then as the draft gets closer, everybody wants college players. And then the high, high school pitchers especially don't go as high. So I, I just don't see like there, there's not a situation where like Termar Johnson or Cam Collier or, or Jacob Berry is going to fall to 20. I just don't think there's that guy this year. And, you know, like, like it's interesting because I always think fans feel like, I don't know if you get these questions a lot, Eric, where, where, like, and fans feel like everybody dreams like, oh, my team's going to force so-and-so to get down to their pick and pay them. And the problem is if you're talented, even if you're throwing out big numbers to try to scare people off and get to a particular place that you think is going to spend the most, it, this happens every year where teams just don't buy it or say, you know what, we're going to offer you a bunch of money and we don't think you're going to turn it down. So uh, I, I don't see, I don't really see a scenario where on you know July 17th, Brace fans are rejoicing because Player X fell to 20. I just don't think there's a a guy like that this year. So that kind of brings me to my next point, and it's it's a it's an interesting one because we we talk again we're pretty focused on the Brave system here, and for a while now, especially with early picks, uh, with the notable exception of the Shea Langoliers, Braden Shoemake first round is that it seems like the Braves are averse to drafting bats early. Now, do you think that just based on, again, we're talking about maybe the last five years or so, right? And the 2020 draft was obviously a weird situation where, you know, you know whatever projections you have on draft strategy kind of go out the window and since it's only five rounds. But do you think that that focus on pitching has just been a function of their draft position, like vis-a-vis, like what the draft classes look like? Is that just like is pitching just generally what's available where they've been picking, or do you think that that's a draft philosophy that they just typically would just target arms in general? Regard like they would be targeting arms if they were higher up in the draft. That's just where they feel more comfortable. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I know you know we've had some regime change. But like if we've been talking about this in like 2019, you know, the year they took Langlers to make would have been like, oh, geez, you know, the Braves have just spent, th- you know, three straight top 10 picks on pitchers. And before that, their their previous two first rounders were pitchers and they were they were super pitching heavy. And then they took the two first rounders. I, I don't know. I mean, you can argue that. I mean, they pushed Schuster up. I don't think Schuster was consen- Jared Schuster was consensus, you know, 25th overall pick in 2020, I think. I think even Cusick, Ryan Cusick, who's also from Wake Forest and our pitcher, I think he was even a little bit under slot, wasn't he last year? Um, if I remember, he was correctly. a li- he was he was a little bit, not not yeah, not not like huge. A, it was crazy, yeah. But but I'm saying like they weren't consensus. Like like you you aren't cutting, you aren't getting a haircut on a guy if you know everybody if if he's going exactly where where the consensus has him landing in the draft. So 
you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I do know my, my my personal philosophy is you cannot. I just don't think it makes sense in the first round, especially to say, hey, we're going to take this position over that position, because, you know, if you're if you're so wed to to college pitchers, you know, which is what they've done the last couple of years. What if like a really good player, what if like a Zach Neto is available at 20 and he'd be a really good pick and you, you take a lesser player like so. I mean, I, I would I mean, it's interesting because all that said, like I've heard mainly college pitchers. I think Jonathan Mayo and I have done eight mock drafts since the college and high school season started, and we've given them a pitcher every time. So, uh, and then I know, you know, just talking to other teams to pick around the Braves, I think everybody feels like they're looking at college pitchers again. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think pitcher is not a bad guess because I do think, like the top couple tiers of bats are, are going to go probably right before they pick most of them. So, you know, most of the very best bats will be gone and the best values, you know, very well might be pitchers. So like, I, I think it, they, they could go pitcher and it might not even be a, Hey, we have to have a pitcher philosophy as it is. You know what? Like of the first 19 picks, 16 of them were hitters. So the, the best values are pitchers right now. Do you see any bats in particular that the Braves could be interested in? I mean, I know, like, what again, you're hearing kind of the same things that we're hearing, uh, and obviously probably more information than us, is that, you know, it's centered on college hitting, but have you heard, or college pitching, rather, have you heard any hitters that have been connected to the Braves, even, like, tangentially? I haven't heard specific hitters to the Braves. I mean, the types of hitters could be available kind of in that range, who should be available, you know, on the college side. You'd have, you know, the Oklahoma shortstop Peyton Graham, who had 20 homers and 30 steals this year. I think first D1 player to do that in, in 18 years or so. A ton of college outfielders like Chase DeLauder from James Madison and Jordan Beck from Tennessee and, you know, Sterling Thompson from Florida. And then, you know, on the high school side, I mean, I think Tucker Toman, who's from South Carolina high school, he'll wind up at third base. I think those are hitters who would kind of go in that range. I have not heard the Braves specifically on any of those guys individually. I got you. So I want to talk, we're going to take a scale back a little bit because uh, there was one rules change in particular that I know you were excited about and I'm excited about and probably a lot of folks aren't. (laughs) I'm not as excited anymore, Eric. I'm going to break your heart here in a second. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, So the, the CBA brought multiple important changes to the draft. Now, one of those changes has, is kind of, um, (laughs) is, contingent on certain decisions being made that uh, regarding the international draft and whether or not the qualifying offer will still be in effect. That's going to be a big deal one way or the other. But the big changes that we know for certain for this year is that the draft is going to be limited to, is going to be limited to at maximum 20 rounds. And they're also bringing back draft and follows. Now draft and follows is something that I am personally a big fan of. I think it's just one of those quirky little rules uh, in a draft that it kind of allows the team to, uh, you know, leverage some advantage if they are really good on the scouting side but what has your feedback been in general on what's been going on with the cba and you know you know what, whatever changes you want to talk about I, the floor is yours sir yeah and we have we have a draft lottery coming um which will be interesting not so much that you know the team's worst records are still going to have by far the best odds you know, right you know all the non-playoff teams will be in the lottery but the, but the most interesting thing i think about the lottery is that if you're a i think revenue 
sharing recipient, you can't pick in the top 10 more than two years in a row. And if you're not a revenue sharing recipient, you can only pick in the top 10 one year in a row, um, which is kind of interesting. But so the draft to follow, I was very excited when I found out about it. And now I'm not excited. No, I'll, I'll explain why. So the draft follows rule they used to have when they went to, to a single draft in 1987, or I guess even had it a little bit before that. But where, where you, you could draft a player out of the high school or junior college. And if he went to a junior college that fall, you retained his rights the following spring and you could sign him up to a week before the draft. And you could do this. You know, it allowed you to speculate on guys who maybe, you know, especially now with a shorter draft, guys who aren't necessarily ready for pro ball, but maybe, you know, they develop significantly physically over the course of a year. And, and then you, you, you go in and sign the guy. And he's got some leverage because if you don't pay him, the player has leverage, too, because if you don't pay him enough, then they're just going to go back in the draft. Um, you know, and like Andy Pettit was a draft and follow and Roy Oswalt was a draft and follow and Travis have a bunch of guys were dra- draft and follows. And it was, it was kind of like you said, if you had confidence in your scouts who were able to project pretty well a year down the line, you know, like you might draft some guy in the 44th round and then the next year you pay him a million dollars and you know, he, you know, he's like a second round pick type of talent. Good thing. So anyway, I was excited when they brought it back because they got rid of it. I want to say in 97. They it got was rid the of the 90s, it. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, I think it was the 97 CBA, and with no warning, and everybody was very upset. So it was, it's kind of a cool rule, but here's the problem. The rule, they, they've drawn the rule in extremely limited fashion because they announced when the lockout ended, the draft of followers would come back. And my, my first reaction was like, wow, I, I wonder which side even asked for that because they were at the point, obviously, negotiations were very bitter. Like, you couldn't even say, like, hey, you know, how about, you know, we order from, uh, you know, Subway, we're gonna get sandwiches from Subway, and and then the other side would be like, no, like we want Jimmy John's, and if if you want Subway, what are right, you giving us right. for that? So I was like, who's asking for the draft and follow? But it's not the rules we used to know it, Eric. Here's the problem. So and also with the shortened draft, most teams are signing most of the players they draft. So yep. it's not like in the old days where picks were unlimited, or you had 40 or 50 picks, and you aren't consigned 40 or 50 guys that you had some room to take the guys. But here's the biggest problem with the rule. It only applies to rounds 11 through 20, okay, but <laughs> I can only sign the guy the next spring for up to $225,000. So you have to thread this needle where essentially, okay, we're, we're, we're going to take this guy in rounds 11 through 20 who, you know, right away I can sign for 125 and not have it count against my pool. Or if I sign him for 225, only 100,000 counts against the pool. Next year that'll go up to 150 and – like we're going to sign this guy or we're going to draft this guy in the 15th round next year and next year we'll pay him 225. Well, that's a seventh round bonus. So you really thread the needle like, okay, this guy's going to get incrementally better from the 15th round to the seventh round, but he's not going to be so good that we aren't going to be able to afford to pay him because he's just going to re-enter the draft. So I, I just don't think many teams are going to use it. I think it's going to be more accidental than, than anything. I, I don't think you're going to see teams – prioritizing, hey, we're going to make a draft of fall, a couple draft to follow picks and, and, and stay on guys. I think it's going to be more like, hey, we took this guy in the 12th round or whatever, and he went to junior college. Hey, you know what? He's the equivalent of a seventh-round pick, so we'll pay him 225 Um It's too bad. Like, like it, 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 I think a better way – like the point of implementing the rule from MLB's perspective is you do get players who aren't quite ready for pro ball necessarily but you know they sign on high school and then two years later they get released and and then what have you you know you're 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 20 years old you blew a chance to go to college and this way it gives both the player and the team 
like an extra year to figure out, you know, what is this guy exactly? And to me, if you were trying to, to, you know, really maximize the value of the draft follow rule, I would have a almost created draft and what it would say we're going to do rounds 21 through 25 or draft and follow rounds. And I would have allowed you to spend more money. I would have given, say, I don't know what number you want to set it at. And I'll be probably one team's going berserk. But maybe you set it at $750,000 budget for draft and follows or 500000 or a million. And I can use that budget on one player. I could use it on all five players if I want. I could. I would have given teams maybe the flexibility. That let's say I want to go 1.2. We have a million dollar draft to follow budget, but I want to go one two five to sign two players. Then that 250 comes out of my bonus pool. Like like that's how I would have done it. I just think I understand the intent of bringing the rule back, but it's so narrow that like I, I just don't know like. It, honestly, for me, especially next year when I can pay guys 150000 without accounting against my pool rounds, 11 through 20, Eric, I would just rather go ahead and sign a guy in the 18th round who I like than try to speculate on a guy who might be worth an extra 75000 a year from now. But but not more than that. Like my scout's got to be like, hey, this guy's going to be a seventh rounder. He won't be a fifth rounder, but he'll be a seventh rounder. And it's it's just – and then like honestly at that point even if I'm the player and you're going to give me 225. I might just roll the dice and see, like, maybe I go at the top of the seventh round with a slot this year's 249 and I come out ahead. Like, so I, I just don't think anybody's really going to avail themselves. I, I was really disappointed because I was excited about it, too. Nobody had any inkling that was coming back. And then when we got the details, it, it's just going to be very, very hard to use. Like I said, I, I, I think it's going to be more of an accidental rule. You, you've broken my heart, Jim. You, you, I know. I know, like I, it was, it was a cool rule. The Braves have been good at scouting junior colleges for years, and and like I said, it, it was a very cool rule. And then when I found out you could only sign guys for two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, it's like, uh, I, you know, again, it, I mean, <laughs> the best scout in the world isn't so good that he's going to say this eighteenth rounder is going to be a seventh rounder next year. So let's wait a year. Like, like even return investment on the draft. Be honest, I, I I would just rather sign a guy for one twenty-five this year. Or, or two to like everybody, almost anybody can find an extra hundred thousand dollars after the tenth round in their bonus pool. Sign it if I like the guy, I'll just sign him for two twenty five now. Then let him go to junior college. Like I, I, I'll be very curious. I mean, not that anybody's going to track this. I just can't imagine that if somebody did that, we're going to find that there were like twenty five players selected with the idea that they'll be drafted and follows. I, I, I just don't think it's going to work that way. It's funny. I was going to actually ask you, following up to this, what change you would make to the draft uh, if you could make one rules change. <laughs> and, and you uh, gave us the, you gave us the. Fix oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you I'll give you a good one though. Sure. It, it, it's always I, I mean now it, I mean I would I would probably like on a more general sense I would do away with all the bonus pool rules and just if team wants to spend let teams spend what they want to spend because in, in the past the teams yes. have spent the most on the draft were teams like the Royals and the Pirates. And they build playoff teams because they were willing to spend. Like, the Pirates can't compete with the Yankees for Garrett Cole as a free agent. But the Pirates could and did outspend the Yankees in the draft. And, and, and they were willing to do that. And it's a longer-term investment. takes a while longer to pay off. But, like, it's still the cheapest way to, to – and most effective way to build a team is through the draft. Like, so that, that would be a, a main sense. But, but assuming bonus pool rules are not going away. The one thing I, I've always thought was kind of goofy is – so the only picks that are protected if you don't sign them are in the first three rounds. You don't sign a pick in the first three rounds, you get a compensation pick. 
you know, roughly where that pick was the next year. So I understand if I don't sign my second or, you know, we'll put this in Braves terms. When the Braves don't sign Carter Stewart, the Braves lose that bonus pool money because they're going to get a compensation pick the next year. If they didn't lose the bonus pool money, they would get to spend Carter Stewart's money in the current year and then get Carter Stewart's same pick the next year and basically get to spend that money twice. So I get why you take that away. But but here's what's goofy. In rounds four through ten, if I don't sign the guy, I don't get the pick back, but I still – lose my bonus pool money and you know we're talking i think the average team rounds four through ten just doing a little back like it might be it's like a couple million dollars i think it's like a couple million dollars on the top end and maybe on the bottom end i'm just trying to do the math here real quick it's more like maybe it's like one eight so there's not really that much difference between what the team that picks first in each round the orioles and the team that picks last in each round the giants get so what I would just do is you, you, you could keep, I guess you could keep the bonus slots what they are, but I would just say if you don't sign your fourth round pick, you still keep the money because you aren't getting the money back um, and you should be able to spend that on somebody else. So that, that would be my, my, my rule. Like, and I, I would almost do just a flat amount. Like we could just say everybody from rounds four through 10 gets 2 million, an extra 2 million tacked onto their bonus pool picks from the first three rounds um, you know, I guess you'd have to work it out if a team was forfeiting picks for free agents. But I just would say if you if you don't if I don't sign my fourth rounder, I should be able to spend that money on somebody else because I'm not I'm not double dipping on it. So that would be if, if I'm forced to keep the bonus pools, that would be my rule change. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Jim Callis has fixed the MLB draft. We're going to go ahead and make sure we get this drafted up and sent off to the appropriate, the appropriate entities to see if we can get this done. Because I actually like the sound of all of that, to be honest with you. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I kind of would invite the, the chaos of making picks tradable, but I understand why that could be problematic. You know, <laughs> so, I, I, I feel like we're going to get that, Eric. Like, I, I, I didn't think about that. Like, it's funny because when I started, and I'm old, I've been doing this stuff for 30 years. When I started, there was this notion that, like, if you allow picks to be like I had some, it was like 50, it was like split camp. You'd have half of half the guys I would talk to pretty much would be like, yeah, that'd be cool. It would create interest, et cetera, et cetera. And the other half were like, no agents would manipulate it. You know, you know, you know, I mean, this was well before Bryce Harper, but like you, you have, you know, like Pete and Cavillia forced to trade out of Montreal before he signed his contract as the number seven overall pick. And teams hated that. Uh, and so people were worried the agents were going to have all this leverage, and I don't think that would necessarily happen, but 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 I, that's a good one too. And I do think there's more willingness to have that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we had more pick trading beyond just the competitive balance picks over the next. I'd say the next couple of CBAs. I'll, I'll, I, I would. I think there's a good chance it could happen. Like I think you might have a limit where you don't let it. Like it might only be you could trade picks in certain rounds. You know, maybe it's top two rounds. Maybe you can only trade picks X years out so you don't have some team trade 10 years worth of first rounders like the Cleveland Cavaliers did in in, in the yeah. NBA years and years ago and they they put in rules I think I think you can only trade your pick every other year or something I know there's some NBA rule that limits that but um I, I do think a would create interest and b you know there's teams that don't want to spend on the draft at, po- at certain points and you're kind of forcing them to and you know I, I just think too if you're a contender well, I mean, let's use the Braves as an example again. Like the Braves farm system is not especially deep or as strong as it once was. What if the Braves are looking to make a trade, you know, this July, uh, you know, to fortify themselves for another World Series run? What if the Braves said, hey, 
okay, you know, maybe we don't have that, you know, we're, we're not giving you Michael Harris and we, we don't have a, you know, upper echelon prospect we really want to get rid of, but we'll give you our first round pick. Like, like I, I think that, I just think it would, it would add some interest. Um, yeah, I, it, from a selfish standpoint, it would be bad for me, Eric, because I know when we're doing mock drafts, not, not that you're ever going to get them perfect. Oh, yeah. But the <laughs> nice thing is, yeah. compared to the NFL, like in the NFL, everybody lies to everybody because you can't even intimate, oh, I like, you know, I like, you know, whoever. And because if you do, then our team might see it and be like, oh, no, they're going to draft him. So we're going to jump up three spots ahead of them. And get the guy. And right now, like what's nice is I, I do think there is a pretty good give and take when I'm doing mock draft stuff and I'm talking to teams. Like I'm not saying that teams about like, oh, here, here's our board. You know, just, you know, I, I'll, I'll take a picture of it and you'll know who we're picking. Nobody does that. But you can generally get teams to tell you who they're interested in and who they're not um, or at least figure it out. And I think a lot of that would go away. If we had trades, I mean, I, I mean, that's just me selfishly speaking. I do think it would create some interest in the draft. I mean, it'd be pretty cool. I mean, what if you were sitting there on draft day, Eric, and and all of a sudden it was announced, uh, hey, uh, you know, the Braves have just traded the number 20 pick in the draft to the Chicago Cubs along with. Kyle Muller and they've acquired Wilson Contreras like or or whatever like I, th- I think if you had trades like that going down on draft day you would have more people watching the draft going whoa like what just happened so I do kind of feel like it's coming like I, I think it'll they'll have some limitations so teams don't go crazy and trade eight first rounders or something but I, I do kind of feel like it's coming yeah, it was, it was just, again, like you said, just creating that spectacle at the draft, I think, is something that the baseball has been wanting to do for a while, has needed to do for a while. And that would be, I, I don't want to call it an easy fix to that, but it would certainly be like one of those big headline features, like, you know, things are happening in the draft other than just a list of names. Now, there's the, rec- the, the recognition problem of college baseball players versus college football and basketball players that's a separate issue and that's like a, a visibility problem that's separate from all that but you know again having those traits it just gives fans another reason to watch it is something interesting could happen rather than just kind of getting a list of names that frankly most casual fans uh, unless they're reading sites like ours for example uh might actually not even know at all so um okay I know that folks have been listening to this podcast and wanting the answer to this one question <laughs> and I put it at the bottom on purpose uh so uh Talk to us a little bit right now. Who are you thinking the Braves are going to take in the first round? And do you have any like names just for Braves fans in particular to take, keep an eye on for days two and three that you know that they may be interested in? Not so much days two and three because because they, they just pick low enough. Like if they were picking, if they had a sandwich pick or they were picking, right. you know, in the 40s, you could kind of speculate who might be there. So I, I don't really per se, you know, in terms of that, you know, I didn't like, like I said, I, I keep hearing like you name a college pitcher and almost every college pitcher will probably be on the board when we get to 20. I mean, it's possible, honestly, that we might get to 20 and no college pitchers have been taken. Um, wow, <laughs> like wild. I mean, maybe not like I can see the angels taking a college pitcher, but like, like the two guys who I feel like who probably go ahead of – well, there, there's a couple. Like, you know, Carson Wisenant, who got suspended the whole year at East Carolina for taking a, a PD, failing a test. He said it came from a supplement. Um, he's pitching the Cape Cod League. 
the stuff is what it was before he got suspended. And he was, a, a, you know, he was going to go around the Braves pick. He might go ahead like, because somebody like you mentioned, Eric, some of the guys have been hurt. So Carson Wilson comes back. He's pitching well. People are like, OK, like, like got to take Carson Wilson. You know, uh, you know, you know, Connor Prelip, who, you know, might have been the number one overall pick, you know, looked like he had a chance to do that a couple years ago. And he had Tommy John surgery in May 21. He's thrown two bullpens. He threw a bullpen before the SEC tournament on May 23rd. And he threw a bullpen at the draft combine about uh, 10 days ago. And that's it. But like like at the SEC thing, it was in the rain. You know, everything was operating well. And then at the combine, I mean, it's crazy, but it's three and a half minute bullpen. Second time you've seen him since he got hurt. And um, it, he looked like he had his pre, pre-injury stuff. But like, you know, maybe Cooper Jerpy from Oregon State, who led Division One strikeouts, you know, goes ahead of them. But like honestly, all three of those guys could be there. You know, as could you know Blade Tidwell from Tennessee, Justin Campbell from Oklahoma State, Gabriel Hughes from Gonzaga, Thomas Harrington from Campbell. Uh, I don't know if I missed it. Like, like, but literally, if you say the Braves could take a college pitcher, it could literally be. They, they they can have their choice of almost any college pitch. I mean, uh, Kumar Rocker. I, I I mean, I had no idea what to I, make I'd be, him. I'd, I'd be shocked yeah. of that. Well, well, well no, I, I would be too. But I'm just saying, hey, he's a Georgia product. I mean, you know, Georgia high school product. They'd be bringing him home. But like Kumar Rocker, you know, everybody knows he's pitching well in short stints in a indie league where the competition isn't very good. But nobody's seen any medical reports. So, like, I have no idea where he's going to go. I mean, the, the, the super wild card, who's super interesting for anybody who watched any of the College World Series, is Kate Horton of Oklahoma, who, yep. as we record this on a Monday, he just pitched yesterday um, and got a no decision, but he struck out 13. And Kate Horton was one of the best two-way prospects and best two sport prospects. He's also quarterback in the draft two years ago. And he, it was one of those deals. He wanted to play both sports and play both ways at Oklahoma. So he wasn't going to be signable. I mean, he could have legitimately been a top two round pick out of, out of high school. So goes to Oklahoma, blows out his elbow, has Tommy John in February 21, doesn't pitch last year, comes back this year. Beginning of the year, he's the third baseman for him. They work him into the bullpen a little bit. And, you know, stuff was, the, the velocity was back, command, Secondary stuff wasn't see and regular season ends. He has a 7.94 ERA. We have a, you know, our, our draft top 200 up at MLB pipeline and he's not on it. Like everybody's like, ah, you know, there's flashes, but he's going to come back next year and prove what he is. Well, just really interesting story. So he's looking for another weapon going in the big 12 tournament. He was fiddling around with a cutter and that didn't really take, but it helped him improve his slider grip. And, so in, in counting from the Big 12 tournament to College World Series, he struck out 49 guys in 31 innings. was pretty unhittable. Um, you know, the slider's up to 90 now with two-plane depth. Anybody watch College World Series? Ridiculous pitch. Fastball's 94 to 98 with better life to it. Um, and he's, you know, you know granted, it's only five starts. So like, I'm not saying he's going to, like, I would take him at 12. I might take him at 20 based on what I saw at the College World Series, watching watching on TV and, and watching some of the, the NCAA playoffs. But like, he, I think he's the biggest wild card right now because not a ton of track record because of the Tommy John. But I'll say this: if he pitched, if he pitched like he did the last five starts, Eric, all year, or 
for 10 starts instead of five, uh, he might be the first college pitcher taken in the draft. So I'll throw his name out as a wild card. I, I have no idea where he's going to go, but he looks really, really good. So if you're sold on that he's healthy again, which I don't know why you wouldn't be given how well he's pitching, you know, he's athletic. He's, I, I think, you know, he should get, you know, more feel and command as he gets, you know, the Tommy John a little further behind him. You know, maybe he fits at 20. Like it's it's weird saying this, but like just after having watched that so recently yesterday, where his stuff was just ridiculous, like maybe he should go in the first round. I I love I love the wild card pick. It's a I think what we know from this discussion is that the first round is gonna be kind of the wild west, uh, especially with how this pitching situation is gonna go. Uh, and you know the Braves are gonna have to just ultimately just kind of see what happens in the board in front of them and really have a really good sense of how they feel about what their board is breaking down because there's any number of players that could be, they mean they could, I mean, four college pitchers could be picked ahead of them. There's a bunch of names where it could or could not happen. I'll bet there's not four, Eric. I'll bet there's not four. You don't uh, don't think four? I just don't think there's four guys to take ahead. Like there's some really good hitters in this draft. And I feel like I'll say the first 12 picks, 11 of them might be, hitters and the, and the other guy might be Brock Porter, the high school pitchers. I, I just don't see four college pitchers who are going to go in that 11 to 19 range, um, which is probably more like 13 to 19. So okay. I, I just don't see if it's four, it's all like highly speculative picks on guy. Like <laughs> it's Connor Prelip and Carson Wisnett who literally threw zero innings in college this year. Um, you know, maybe Cooper Jerpy sneaks in there and, Maybe Kate Horton. I don't know. But like four, four might be tough. So I, I, I'm telling you, like, I, I don't think it'll be zero, but I do think you can name any college pitcher and there's a pretty good chance he's going to be available at 20. I see. That's why I love about this year is you know it doesn't feel like fate complete or anything like that. It's like there's going to be these three guys, just who the Braves prefer. There's any number of guys that could pick because again they could just go completely off. You know they they don't mean college pitching seems the overwhelming thing that we're hearing about, but they could just, you know, you know, they go and snatch, you know, Dylan Beavers or something like that, or, you know, a and then there's some good high school pitchers too. Like, I don't know that, what they would do with Lesko, but like, there's a couple really good lefties, Brandon Barriera from Florida, Robbie Snelling from, from, from Nevada, who are both going to go on that range. And they might take one of those guys. Um, yeah. It's going to be like, I, I know, not that the mock drafts are ever easy. Like when you get down to twenties, but I do feel like, like the top 15 picks. Uh, well, I'm not trying to be cocky. Like I'll bet like today I could give you 15 names and like, let's say over under would be like 12 or 13. Those guys will go in the top 15 picks. And after that, I just think it's wide open. Like, like you could, yeah. you could have, there's, it's a bunch of guys. Like there's maybe a handful of guys, you know, are going to go like 16 to 25, but literally like you cut there. There's like probably 30 names who are going to go 15 to 45. And, a lot of those guys could very easily go 20 or they could very easily go 45. Like it's just, it, it's, it's a, just, you know, with all the uncertainty, like we were talking about earlier with all these injured pitchers, it's just, it's just very, very strange. Um, and I, and I just think it's going to be like, I, I just think we're like, even if we, if we speak before, like on the, on the day of the draft, Eric, even, I don't know that we're going to know who the Braves are picking. We may have, I may say the exact same thing. I can cross off, you know, 15 guys. I'm pretty sure going to go ahead of them. And then it, it could be, it could be just about anybody. Well, I'm definitely going to be texting you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not texting you on draft day uh, just to confirm yeah. that. But uh, so uh, Jim, 
as always, greatly appreciate your time. I, I, I feel bad that I've already take, held you on longer than I promised I would, uh, but it was a lot of fun talking with you about the draft. Uh, for our listeners, I want to make sure that you take the chance to, if you are not subscribed to the Battery Power podcast feed, make sure that you do so. We are on all of the known uh, podcast platforms that we are aware of, Google, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you want. If you subscribe to this podcast, that feed, not only do you get this podcast, which is our minor league show, you also get – the unnamed show that has been launched by our fearless leader, Chris Willis, that is more of a deep dive in analytics, our flagship Soho show hosted by the great Brad Roland, and the Daily Hammer, which is kind of our daily night, daily recap of what's been going on the days uh, games before, hosted by Sean Coleman. Thank you all so much for all the support. Thanks to Jim again for taking the time to talk about the draft with me. And until next time, we'll see you on the road. <laughs>